there is such a thing as having too much toilet paper. Why are people buying so much toilet paper? That's too much paper. But you can never have enough of David Mills. Musical guests to current events. Local and abroad. To cooking with homegrown recipes. Set your podcast to download. It's time for the General's Wake Up Call. We just have to acknowledge that there are some mentally unstable people in this country. Your host, the old general himself, David Mills. Forward, I don't make a list of what I'm going to ask. I just shoot me up. Yeah, I do. I do. Cool. All right, I have a um, well. Kind of my boss, I guess, uh, <laughs> in a podcast with you today. And I know you used to do podcasts, and, and it's yeah. Grant, and it's All Red. All Red, yep. All red. Compound okay. Word. That's right. All Red. All Red. Um, well, Grant, I know uh, I don't know exactly what your official title is at uh, at Web, but so uh, I'm the general manager. General manager for Web Toyota. That's right. Here in Farmington, but you're part of the Web family. Yeah, so I, I kind of weaseled my way in about 20 years ago. So I married into the family. Um, Perry Webb is my father-in-law. So his second daughter is my wife. Ah. So, um, Perry, so, so Marlo is the, the grandfather then, right? Yeah, so he's grandpa. The, the, the group, the, the dealership started in 1927. Perry Smoke um, actually uh, started it all. He had a, just a service station at, at first, um, and then he got the Chevrolet franchise, I want to say, in the 50s. Um, and Marlo Webb is his stepson. Gotcha. So um, I represent the fourth generation in the car business for the family. Yeah, which is a really rare deal. We'll, you know, we'll go to car dealer meetings and, and different things, and they'll have people stand up. Okay, if you're a second-generation dealer, everybody stand up. And, you know, there's... 35, maybe 40% of the room, somebody will stand up and then they'll say, okay, third generation, stay standing. And, you know, then it's down to like 10%. And when it gets into fourth generation, there's like three of us, <laughs> you know, there's like nobody left. Fourth generation. Very, it's very, very rare. That's a, that's a, that's a long time. And, yeah. and I know that, uh, uh, my dad and Marlo actually used to do stuff together. In oh, really? Yeah. Long, very cool. Yeah. Years yeah. and years ago. And, I'll tell you what impressed me about Marlo is when I was doing the training, and I know he's uh, having a little bit more difficulty getting around, but yeah. he, he was, at that time, he was at work every day. Yeah. And uh, he came in, introduced himself, and I'm sure he doesn't remember me. I was just a little <laughs> part when I, you know, when I met him the first time, but... Uh, but yeah, very friendly, very nice. Yeah, he's a wonderful man. Uh, listen, and I, and I don't, and I'm not going to uh, try to embarrass you. And I know you don't like to toot your own horn, <laughs> but I know that Webb is okay. entangled in the community. Maybe "entangled" is the wrong word, but really involved in the community. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the Connie Mac, uh, you supply all the. Uh, what is this that exactly? Because I remember taking the so, we didn't get to have the Connie Mac this it, year, but right. Right. So for Connie Mac, one of the things that we do, and, and, and like I mentioned, we've been in Farmington in the Four Corners since 1927. Long so we're, time. Yeah, long time. Almost 100 years now. And so uh, this community is something that's really, really important to us. And so we try to give back where we can and, and be in, as involved as we can. One of the things that we do for Connie Mac is we provide uh, courtesy transportation to all the coaches and the dignitaries, umpires, 
people that are coming from out of town, um, we, we provide vehicles for them and, and basically have a fleet of cars that we provide to the coaches and, and whomever. We let them use them for the week that they're here. And uh, there's no obviously no charge or anything like that, no cost associated with it. And it's just a small way that we can kind of give back and support. For one, I'm a huge baseball fan. I love baseball. I grew up playing ball uh, as a kid, and I'm, I'm not from this area. Um, but it, it's something that, that we can do to kind of give back and, and have some fun and, and uh, be involved in, in such a great tournament uh, that really is an, it's an honor to be a part of. Well, it is. And, it, you know, I can remember I played on that field when I was in high school. Yeah. And it's, it was nothing then like it is now. Sure. You know, it was like a sandlot almost in those <laughs> days. But um, it's a privilege to be a part of that and to be a part of the web family, which I'm going to talk about a little bit, too. I, I feel like I'm part of the family. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. We're going to talk about the COVID shutdown just a little bit. I don't want to get off on it. but Sure. No problem. Uh, um, but I know there's other things. And whatever you want to share, I would like to let people know because you there's other things you do in the community that help. Yeah. So, I mean, we try to be as involved uh, as we possibly can. Uh, something else that I'm involved with uh, is, is called the 4CED, Four Corners Economic Development. So there's uh, they have a board of directors um, that's made up of 30 or 40 people. And, and we try to get together and, and look for ways that we can stimulate economic growth in our community. So we work with the mayors in the surrounding area, Bloomfield, Aztec, Farmington, Kirtland, uh, doing a lot of work uh, with the tribe, uh, both Navajos, Utes, uh, trying to do things to bring um, economic stimulus to the Four Corners specifically. Not necessarily, it's not a Farmington organization per se. Four it's a regional organization, um, and it's to try to help um, bring new businesses into our community as well as retain the businesses that are already here. So if I can draw a parallel real quick in the, in the car business, it's a lot cheaper for us to keep a customer than it is to try to go conquest somebody that's never driven a Toyota before. Right. Um, and, and so w to some degree we, we take the same type of strategy. What can we do to help local businesses stay vibrant, stay running, stay healthy, especially during COVID. Um, and then what types of things can we do to, to bring in stimulus into the economy? Um, looking at things like uh, rail, petrochem. Um, oh, no kidding. Yeah. And uh, looking at building a kind of a, a uh, trying to think a best way to describe it, but it's a complex, the, the, movie industry is looking for areas kind of western type areas geographically landscape uh to be able to shoot movies mm -hmm. um we've had a couple shot here. we have had a few shot here um uh, and so we're looking <coughs> at um maybe transforming some areas into kind of a movie set area where companies could oh, come in and and uh film their movies and, and adapt the set as they need to because we have the landscape we have uh, you know, good weather for the most part throughout the year. Uh, it's, it's really easy to do that. Um, we uh, are involved with the airport as well, trying to get more commercial flights into the area and just across the board, all types of different things. We work uh, really, really closely with San Juan College. Um, like, like I mentioned, the, the different tribes trying to do things to, to work together as communities to help each other and, and to grow the local economy. Part of my reason for the podcast is to entice people to the Four Corners. Uh -huh. uh, the re and I'm very fortunate to be able to do this at, uh, at, the, at Better Homes and Gardens in downtown Farmington under the new the 
under construction, the uh, yeah. beeping in the background. Soon to be renovated, yeah, yeah Main, Street. Main yeah. Street. Because I feel like the heart of the city is, is downtown, and everything spreads out from there. And the more we can do to help the whole economy mm-hmm. as a whole and to bring people down, there's just, and, and, and I'm sure you're going to, we're going to find out where you're from, but I'm sure you can attest that there's a great quality of life here. In absolutely, absolutely. It's a good place to raise a family. That's yeah. why my dad got off the road and moved here in 1967. Oh, wow. Very yeah. cool. So, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm just going to say something real quick and then we're going to go off into, in, in your other job. Okay. Sounds um, great. Because I know you wear many hats. I do. Um, but I, I personally, uh, you know, I, I've been in, I worked for Sears. I retired close to 30 years with them. Uh, and I, and part of corporate America, it wasn't easy in some cases when, Things got tight, you know, had to let people go. Sure. And when the whole COVID thing came down, I, I honestly, because I haven't, been, I hadn't been with the Webb family except for, gosh, less than a year at that time. Right, it all right. Um, but when you called me into the office when the shutdown happened and uh, uh, you you told me, I, I just couldn't, I was in total astonishment, <laughs> astonishment that uh, you, you're going to do everything you could to keep us on. Right. And uh, paid us through through a hard time. And I just want to give you a heartfelt thanks for that. It's, uh, well, it's made me extremely devoted. I had planned yeah. on when my son graduated high school to, to plan on, you know, I was going to leave after the summer was over and, sure. and move down into Phoenix just to do retirement. But I feel, I don't, I'm not, obligation is not the right word. Well, I certainly hope you don't feel obligated. No, it's not that it's, I, I don't know. I feel it's yeah. devotion for sure. I just feel yeah. since you gave to me, I feel like I need to give back. Well, I, I certainly appreciate that and, and want you to understand and to know, for the record, whether this is being recorded or not, that that wasn't the intent was to, to make you feel like you're obligated to stay at the dealership. But we really feel like our employees are family and we try to do everything we possibly can to to help our employees to maintain a good quality of life. Uh, to to have all of their needs and and if we can help with some of the wants too, that's great. Um, we we feel like uh, it, it's a, a blessing that we have to to have such a, a a great dealership and to be able to have the opportunity to to help others. And so where we can and when we can, uh, we really try to take care of our employees and, and to do the right thing for the right reasons. Well, as an employee, it's greatly appreciated. Thank you. Uh, I've always been a Toyota fan. One of the very first new cars I bought yeah. at 18 was a Toyota. It's a great product. Toyota Corolla station wagon. Wow. In those that's days. impressive. Yeah. yeah. So little, little known fact, um, the Corolla holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest running model, like consecutive model. Yeah. yeah. So lots of manufacturers will come out with a car for 10 or 15, 20 years, right. and then they'll change the name to something else. It's basically the same car, but they've changed the name. The Corolla has been a Corolla for like ever. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Since Mr. Toyota first started making vehicles. So yeah, the Corolla has been around for a really, really long time. So I think too, I think a lot of people need to understand too, because, um, you know, we're all about Americans uh, doing work, but the majority of the Toyotas are made right here in the United States. Uh, yeah, and that's, I think, if I could, just talk a little Absolutely. bit about the automotive industry for a second. I think that, to some degree, is a little bit of a fallacy um, in a lot of consumers' mind. They think, well, you know, I want to buy a domestic, so I want a Ford Chevy Dodge, right? right. But a lot of the components in a Ford Chevy Dodge are sourced from overseas, Right. right? And they think, well, I don't want to buy a Toyota because it's not made in America. Well, 
to your point, the vast majority of the vehicles that we sell in the United States that are Toyotas are produced here in the United the States United by States. American workers, right? Yeah, yeah we source uh, vehicles or parts from overseas. But if you look on it's federal law, all new vehicles have a sticker somewhere on them that will indicate how much of the vehicle is from the United States. Parts, manufacturing, assembly, all that kind of stuff. It's Every new car has this sticker sitting on it somewhere. And the Tundra right now is the most American car that is on the road today. More American than a Silverado, more American than a Ram, more American than an F-150. That, you know, it it is a Toyota name plate, uh, but that is an American truck. And those are out of San Antonio. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I know that uh, they're constantly on working on that vehicle. Toyota is also one of the innovators in the hybrid, yeah. uh, which I, I traded my vehicle in, uh, my, my Highlander in for a hybrid <laughs> and, and loving every minute of it. Oh, good. So, yeah, good, good. I, I love it. All right. So, <clears throat> listen, let's, let's switch hats for a second. Uh-oh. Um, I should silence my phone. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm going to do that right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, You wear so many hats. And I do. I, and I don't know how you keep up with them all. But one that, that's very near and dear to my heart is, um, and, you know, I made the mistake. I think I called you a deacon and it wasn't a, a deacon. But you're actually a bishop. Is that correct? Yeah, yes. So I am a bishop um, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, people sometimes refer to us as Mormons. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've been a bishop for a little over a year now. Um, it's a lot of of responsibility. It it is a lot of responsibility. Um, so, and I don't know the demographic of your audience. If you want me to talk a little bit about, absolutely. We're going to go into that, but I want to back up and find out a little bit more in depth about you. Where did you come from originally? Yeah. Um, so let's do that first. Okay. And then, uh, we're going to come back to what, why did you decide to do what you're doing? Sure. Okay. So where, where where were you born? So I was born in a small town called Woodland, California. Um, it's no clue. Where not that's a clue. So have you heard of Sacramento? Absolutely. Sacramento? Been to okay. Sacramento. Just outside of Sacramento is Woodland, okay. and that's that's where uh, that's where I was born. My parents um, moved from Woodland to a small town, and nobody's ever heard of it unless you've been there, uh, Roner Park. And it's just north of San Francisco. So the Golden Gate Bridge is the 101 freeway. So if you get on the Golden Gate Bridge and you go north for about an hour, depending on traffic, hour and a half, um, you run into Roner Park. Um, There's a small town. Well, California's got lots of little small towns up north. But Santa Rosa is the biggest town that's close to us. It's about a half a million people. Okay. And we're just south of that. I know where that's at. Um, Sonoma County, Napa Valley, when, when you know, it, if you're a wine drinker, you've heard of those areas. Absolutely. So that's where I grew up. So it, we're about 15 minutes south of Redwood Forest. We're about an hour away from uh, the beach. We're an hour and change outside of San Francisco, uh, a couple hours away from Tahoe. So you can do pretty much anything you can think of, snow ski, water ski, surf, major big city, be in a forest within two-hour drive of where I grew up. Did, did you surf? Uh, a little bit. Not, not, enough, like to, not, not <laughs> enough to be good at it. So northern California, the water is known to be, one, it's really, really cold. Oh. It's really, really rocky. So it's not like soft, a, sandy ideal, beaches yeah. like southern California, and there's lots of sharks. 
So, it, you know, it's not ideal for surfing. Um, there, there are some great waves um, a little bit closer, just outside of Muir Woods, uh, which is just on the north side of San Francisco. There's some great waves there. Um, that, that surfing's a little uh, a little bigger um, than where I grew up, but yeah, it's it's like full body wetsuits, very very cold. Um, and rocks and rocky. And, yeah, no, it's not so. And it's not so sharks the- <laughs> Yeah, and there's <laughs> lots of sharks. So all right, um, so from there, uh- we'll be back after a quick break. Traeger's Bar prides itself in bringing together positive people and sophisticated spirits. A truly welcoming group with New Mexico roots, locally owned and operated. Traeger's offers specialty drinks, classic libations, domestic and craft beers, wine, and cocktails. And for folks feeling a tad peckish, the doghouse is right off the patio with hot dogs, wings, nachos, and much more. Located at 5170 College Boulevard in Farmington, their website is traegersbar.com. Where did you go to school? Where did I go next? Okay. So I graduated high school um, uh, in 96. I did a year. Oh, you're just a baby. Uh, yeah, just a pup, right? You got <laughs> yeah. socks older than me. Yeah. I uh, from, from there, I did a year of college in Rexburg, Idaho. If you've ever heard of that, it's just north of Idaho Falls. What made you want to go there? Um, so I, I have some family in the area, which was helpful. Uh. Um, and it was... Um, it was one of the few schools that I applied to. I just, when, when I was going through high school, I wasn't really, I, I knew that I was going to go to college and I, I knew that it was like the eventual next step and it's just what had to happen, but I just never really took the time to apply anywhere. <laughs> I just wasn't thinking that far, I guess. And so Rick's accepted me. Um, so went to school there for a year and then I actually served uh, a mission for my church um, I lived in Antofagasta, Chile, um, in Chile. Uh, I, was there, I was there. Yeah, exactly. I was there for two years. Um, so, as missionaries for our church, we we basically um, there, there's tons of forms that we have to fill out. We have to have medical and dental reviews, and and uh, obviously a lot of worthiness interviews to make sure that we're ready and mentally, physically able to go out. So we fill out all these forms and we basically say, I'm ready to serve. I want to serve. You tell me where I'm going to go. So we send all this paperwork off to Salt Lake, which is where the church is headquartered. And then a few weeks later, we get a letter in the mail that says, you've hereby been called to serve in, drum roll, and they give you a place. And it could be um, Piedmont, North Dakota, or it could be Ukraine. You know, it's you just, just know. all over the world. You have no idea. And you just go where you're called. And so I was called to serve in, in uh, Antofagasta, Chile, which is the northern region of Chile. It's in the Atacama Desert. Um, so coming from very green, lush, uh, vineyard-covered fields, northern California, to the Atacama Desert. And for your audience that – and nobody knows this, but I'll just fill you in. The Atacama Desert is the driest desert on earth. It's not oh, the hottest, but it's the driest, driest, right? So in the two years that I was there, it rained one time. And little kids, literally, in two years, years, it rained one time, and little kids were in the street crying because they didn't know what was happening. They had never seen anything like that before. They were freaking out. Um, So yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, (laughs) like to say it's dry there is it's hard to really even explain how dry it is. In fact, one time uh, we ran into some guys. So it's very rare to to see Americans where I was. It's very. 
It's very rural. They're um, very underdeveloped in the parts of Chile that I was. Now, Chile's not a third world country. Um, Santiago is their capital. And Santiago, it looks like Dallas or San Francisco or any other very modernized major city. But as you get outside of Santiago and, and move into kind of some of those rural areas, it gets pretty primitive pretty fast. And that's where I was. So it's very rare to run into people speaking English or, you know, that are, that are from America. And, and one day um, I'm walking down the street as a missionary and I hear English and I look over and, and there's a couple guys. And uh, so we just go over and start visiting with them. And they were actually from NASA and they were testing moon equipment. Because no that's kidding. the closest thing to the moon that there is on Earth. Oh, my it's gosh. That, it's that dry and arid. So um, almost all of the towns in northern Chile are either right on the coast, so there's a lot of fishing communities, uh, or they're mining towns. Um, seven, it, when I was there, it was about 75% of the gross uh, domestic product from Chile came out of this area. Um, so Chile's the really long, skinny one. If you're looking at a map, it, it spans basically from like San Diego to New York lengthwise across the United States, but its widest point is only about the width of California. So it's not very wide, but it is very long. Um, the, the area that I, the geographic region that I covered is about the size of California, roughly. So it, it, the bus ride from top to bottom I was, was say, no cars, right? It's either bicycle so, or bus. So, so there, there, there's cars in the area, you know, it's not, no, I mean, it's not that primitive, but we, we were by foot. Um, anywhere we went in town, we, we walked. I, uh, if you remember Doc Martin shoes, oh, absolutely. I walked through two pair of Doc Martin <laughs> shoes. If that tells you how much walking we did, we walked a lot. Um, but I had a, anytime you'd move from city to city, you would take a, a bus t, uh, to move you around. And I went from the northern end of the mission to the southern end of the mission, uh, which was 27 hours by bus. That was a long bus ride, long bus ride. And it's not like, it's not like the movies where there's like chickens and goats and stuff on the bus. I mean, there were nice buses, the seats reclined and everything. I mean, it was, it was fairly comfortable, but 27 hours in one seat's it's a long, a long time, time. Yeah, it's a long time on a bus. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, I, I was called to serve in, in Antofagasta was the capital city of my mission. So you report there and, and there's a, what's called a mission president. And that's a, a man and his wife that have been called to oversee the missionaries in that area. Any mission is going to have anywhere from 150 to maybe low two hundreds as far as amount of missionaries serving in that mission. So there's gotta be somebody to kind of oversee and coordinate who's coming, who's going, who's assigned to what areas, that sure. kind of stuff. So I got into Antofagasta. I was assigned an area, um, and, and in my mission, three to four months was kind of normal that you would be in a town and then you would get transferred to another place. So I served all over northern Chile. I was all over it. I was in mining towns. I was in fishing towns, so just all over the place. Uh, loved it. Had a great time. Uh, my wife and I were able to go back and see some of those areas here a couple of years ago, which was really neat oh, that she cool. got to kind of see a little bit what uh what i experienced there she was actually uh my wife uh served the mission as well she was in um amsterdam the, the netherlands uh, oh, that yeah vastly different very different oh, experience sure. Sure. um that she had versus uh, my missionary experience but uh yeah so it was wonderful it was a great two years so served there for two years came back uh to the united states mission as well she was in um amsterdam the, the netherlands 
Oh, I bet that was fun. Yeah, vastly different, very different oh, experience sure. Sure. Um, that she had versus uh, my missionary experience. But uh, yeah, so it was wonderful. It was a great two years. So served there for two years, came back uh, to the United States, um, did uh, one semester back at Ricks College in Idaho, and then from there transferred to the University of Utah, and I finished my undergrad at the University of Utah. So you were born into your religion, basically. Yeah. So my parents were both uh, members for actually for generations. On my dad's side, it, it ties back to the to the days when the church was first formed, and on my mom's side, maybe two generations from that. So um, mid uh, to late eighteen hundreds, we've been members of the church. Oh wow! That's yeah, a long, long time. time. Long time. All right, so let's let's go ahead. We can we can fast forward. We got a little bit of your psyche now. I know a little, a little bit, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Uh, where'd you meet your lovely wife? So that's kind of a crazy story. Um, that's what brought I, you I into the white family. I, though, it right? is. It absolutely is. And <clears throat> I don't know how long you want this podcast to be, so I'll try to make it the briefest. Yeah, give me the reader's digest. Yeah, the shortest version as possible. So when you're called to serve a mission in our church, they send you to what's called a missionary training center, which basically, if you're learning a language, they try to cram as much Spanish, German, Dutch, whatever language you're going to speak. That's in, very in like interesting. eight to nine weeks, they try to teach you basically how to get yourself out of trouble and where's the bathroom and stuff like that. And, you know, some basic... That's probably pretty important. Doctrinal <laughs> language. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, if you're staying domestic, if you're staying in the United States, it's about three weeks. They're basically just teaching you, this is the doctrine, these are the things we need you to teach, this is what it's like to be a missionary, and then they send you out to Alabama, New York, Texas, wherever it is that you're going. Here's your books. Here's yeah. your books. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah. So uh, in the Missionary Training Center, when I was there, there's there's roughly... 2,000 missionaries at any given time that are training Holy to go God. out. So I was there, and um, my wife was also in the missionary training center at the same time. We never met. We didn't shake hands, nothing like that. But I remember seeing her in this crowd of 2,000 from afar, yeah, yeah. basically. <laughs> Uh, and then a couple months later when I was in Chile, I was visiting with another missionary and we we're talking and he was showing me pictures of his family and friends and different things. And I get to this picture and I'm like, man, I know, I, I know this chick from somewhere. I've seen her. And so we started talking and, uh, he was her neighbor in college and we kind of put two and two together. Oh, she was in the MTC the same time I was. Oh, wow. And so never met, never talked to her. He's writing her a letter, um, a week or so later cause they were, they were neighbors in college, really good friends and says, Hey, I'm, I'm writing sister Webb a letter. Do you want to say hi? And I'm, yeah, sure. Why not? I, I don't know her. So just write something on the back of his letter. Hey, you know, hope your mission goes great. Hope you're doing well. I probably said something moderately funny. I don't know. Sent the letter off. Well, a couple, couple weeks later, she responds. She responds. She writes me a letter. It's like, oh, hey, that's cool that you know this, my neighbor. And that's oh, neat wow. that you guys are small world and yada, yada. And so we kind of start doing the pen pal thing. We wrote back and forth for a year and a half. Um, I got back to the now, United how States. Is yeah, that? it's pretty I mean, cool. Come on. So I got back to the United States on a Wednesday, and we met the very next day in person on a Thursday, which is a kind of a, a weird story because I have all my family and friends and all this because I'm just coming back to the United States. She she had been back for a little while, um, and so here she comes into this huge family reunion, and it's just her, you know. Um, so so we met, uh, you know, on a Thursday, and then about a year later, we got married. And now we have five kids. So that's, five. Uh, yeah. 
Let's just fast forward to today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't so, think I've seen all of your kids, but I've seen three or four that, of them. Yeah, know, there's or, a couple of them running yeah, around. At all. Yeah, come around the dealership every once in a while. Yeah. All right. So, being born into the to the uh, religion, yeah. religion, um, it it does become kind of a calling for you. Then, I mean, to, yeah. If to your some... heart is open, let me because I know people that have left the church and right. I have talked to them. I've had been, been friends with them, and I know why they left, and I understand was not for them. Sure. But it, 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 is it, do you feel in your heart that it was a true calling for you to get from where you were to where you are today? We'll be back after a quick break. Is your to-do list too much of a load? Is your business piling up? Well, you're in luck. Have you heard the scoop on the poop group? Whether it's poop stool, duty dump, whatever happens at your dog's rump, we'll take care of it. We are Farmington's one and only poop scooper. We provide weekly, bi-weekly, and monthly pet waste removal services. Call or text 505-330-0081 to schedule your poop scooping today. Don't be fickle with your fecal matter. Call the poop group where your dog's business is our business. Um, I, I guess it, it kind of depends. It, no, it's not corny. I guess it just kind of depends on how you how you define a calling, really. Um, I feel like growing up as a young man, and certainly as a teenager, I was a rebellious knucklehead and didn't really see the need for uh, religion. religion at yeah. all. You know, it was yeah. a thing that I grew up doing, and we went to church every Sunday, and it wasn't even like really a negotiable. But it was it was definitely more of a, a of a social connection for me. So I had friends that went to church, and so I would go and see my friends, and we would hang out. But there wasn't like a deep seated um, uh, religious connection for me. I wasn't connected doctrinally to the things that were being taught. I didn't really understand uh, the nature of. God and my relationship with God and the importance of that relationship. I didn't really understand Jesus Christ and what he has done for me and how important it is for him to be in my life. I didn't, I didn't know those things. I grew up, I, I, I went to church. I did the things I, you know, as a, as a young man in our religion at the age of 12, uh, you receive the priesthood and you start to uh, perform priesthood ordinances, passing the sacrament, blessing the sacrament, doing things like that. I, I did all those things. I checked all the boxes, but to say Was like, more going through the motions yeah, thing? very much, very much. So to say that I had like this deep connection from a very young age, I think would be being disingenuous. That that's definitely not. And my parents would attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was a rebellious little snot, but I, I, I you know, I, I always went, I, I, I went through the motions. Um, and even at, when it came time to serve a mission, it, it very much felt like, well, this is just the next natural step. I didn't feel like this deep calling, like I need to go serve the Lord. It was just kind of a, well, I'm 19 now and that's what you do when you're 19. And so I went and I had a lot of wonderful experiences and, and made connections. Um, I feel like with, uh, my father in heaven and, and with the savior, um, had a lot of wonderful experiences and was able to meet some amazing people. But even then, I don't think I really understood or appreciated what I was going through and, and the experience for, for what it was. Um, it hasn't been until years later that I have um, seen the need and the importance for developing some of those relationships on a personal level um, and, and understanding the doctrine and why it's necessary for me. 
So, and, and I feel like I need to, to clarify something for, for you or for the audience or whoever's listening. So in our religion, um, we, we don't have paid clergy. Everything is to say volunteer isn't quite right as well. Um, so in, in our religion, we make certain covenants or promises with the Lord that we are going to commit ourselves to serve and to help and to bless the lives of others. So we, we try to do that as, as members of the church and do the best we can. And sometimes um, those that are in leadership positions will uh, give us certain assignments or callings in the church. Um, and you're allowed to say no. Um, and one, you know, for... A year or so, my calling was to teach primary children. I taught like 10 and 11-year-olds on Sunday. We taught primary, and I I taught classes and, you know, basic doctrines. Uh, And then after that, I was called to serve um, in a bishopric. So right now, I'm the bishop, which is the head of a congregation. But I have counselors that assist me in a lot of the administrative needs. So I I was a bishopric member. I was a counselor. And I did that for about seven years. Um, and again, that was just a calling. I was asked to do it, and I said yes. Uh, and then I had a couple other callings. I did some other things, and then I was, I was asked to be a bishop. Typically, a bishop's calling is anywhere from five to six years, but it's not like set in stone, this is how long it's going to be. It, you, know, you don't know going into it, um, but they're usually around five to six years. Uh, A bishop has a lot of different responsibilities. We have to, so the congregation that I oversee, um, we have a little over 200 people that that actively attend and show up, uh, well, pre-COVID, that show up on Sundays. It's it's a much different environment now. Um, And so I oversee all the administrative for those 200 people and making sure that they have certain callings and responsibilities. So they're helping and working amongst each other. Uh, welfare needs as those needs come up uh, within the church. A bishop is over that. Um, my primary role and responsibility is to oversee the youth, to make sure that their needs are being met, that they're being taken care of from a uh, physical, emotional, and absolutely spiritual standpoint in, in helping them hopefully connect and have those relationships that I was supposed to be having when I was their age, but, but didn't. Um, and then, and then obviously from, from a religious stamp, from a theological doctrinal standpoint, um, my job is to make sure that the doctrine being taught at church on Sundays is, is accurate and correct and, and overseeing the spiritual welfare of my little flock. So yeah, it's a lot of work. It's, it's when you say it's my other job, that's, that's pretty, pretty close to accurate. Well, and, and to me, it's a calling. I mean, I, obviously you feel deep down inside. It's, it's got to give you goosebumps or at least warm fuzzies. Or oh something. yeah. Oh yeah. There's, there's um, lots and lots of warm fuzzies. Yeah. I, um, part of the reason, cause I'm going to have, I've got a couple more ministers that I have coming on. Cool. Um, and, and we're not going to talk about the differences between religion and what I'm trying to get at is how difficult it has been mm-hmm. uh, through the COVID-19 yeah. and the whole thing that went down with that. And uh, I mean, your thoughts on the whole deal. Yeah. So it's it's been um, it's been challenging. I think to some degree, the things that um, we have gone through during COVID are um 
have pushed us to grow and develop ourselves in new ways that we couldn't have otherwise. Uh, there there uh, are lessons that you could only learn in this environment. You've had to... That's so interesting when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you think about it, if if you had to wipe away all of the other um, just rat killing that we do every day, like I got to take this guy to soccer practice and then she's got to go to ballet and then I need to run to this and we've got these different activities and on the weekends we're chasing kids in soccer games and doing... When you, when you take all of those things away, when you distill it down... Okay, what really matters? What's what what is most important to you? And it it's different for every person, right? Sure. And everybody's going to have a different answer to that question, which I think is great and is necessary and is important. Um, but for followers of Christ, um, it allows you to to eliminate a lot of that white noise that fr- from a almost a global scale that wouldn't have been possible otherwise, right? For 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 one individual, they might say, you know what? I'm too busy. I need to eliminate some of these things. And they might try systematically to, to break down some things, right? But, but it would have been virtually impossible to do this on such a global scale for everybody to be able to have that opportunity to, to really distill it down and say, okay, what really matters to me and what is really, really important to me? And how do I, one of the things that scares me as a, as a bishop is I, I feel like some people that come to church, there's different levels or different types of conversion, right? Some people are converted to the church for traditional reasons. Like I mentioned before, I've been a member of the church. My family has since the 1800s, right? We just go because that's what that's our what family has done for yeah. a thousand years. Exactly. Like we just go to church, right? And so to some levels, it's just an institutional, traditional thing that we do. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but if that's the foundation of your belief system, that when things go sideways, when things really get bad, when things get hard for you on a personal level, is that going to be enough to get you through those hard times? So some people, are, I think, are converted just traditionally. I think some people are converted to the church socially. That's where my friends are, and I'm able to visit and socialize and draw strength from other people and I have friends and their kids are my kids age and, and we hang out and, and we draw strength from each other in a community and that's fine too. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But again, when things really go sideways on a person, when we have personal crisis, a crisis of faith or tragedy or whatever, is that going to be enough to hold us up? Right. And then there's this other kind of conversion that, that I'm really trying to emphasize and help people do is they need to be converted to Christ and to have him at the center of their lives so that when things do go sideways, when things do go crazy, and the traditional structure of the church is now gone because we can't go to church like we used to. Mm -hmm. And I can't go to the park and hang out with my friends because socially we have to have social distancing and there's different things. When all of those things are stripped away, if your testimony was built on those things, you're really going to struggle. But if if your foundation is on Christ... It doesn't matter. Like, I'm still okay because he is always there. He will always be there. Whether it's COVID or something else. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Throw at me what you want. Yeah. Get, get, do your worst. Yeah. But I'm going to be okay. You know, I think I, I think you kind of some, you kind of, a little light bulb went off in my head about that because I think it boils down to not so much as 
some of the things that the church was doing prior, mm-hmm. but to get across the fact that we get, we got to rely on our Savior. Yeah. Bottom line. Yep. That's what it boils down to. And and forming what that goosebumps just listening to you. <laughs> that, that was, that was uh, that's exactly, and that's the reason why I wanted to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, for me, it's about forming that personal relationship with the Christ. Bond. Yeah, that, that personal bond. It's not enough to say, I believe in Christ. Exactly. Because I can, I can read historical books, I can read the Bible, and I can learn that he existed. Right? That's believing in Christ. But believing Christ is something very different. That's having enough faith to believe that he is who he said he was, that he has done what he has said he would do, and that he loves me the way that he says he loves me. Believing Christ is very different than believing in Christ. Absolutely. And, and there's, a, there's a personal bond that happens when we can change that terminology, that phraseology in our mind, and, and really believe him. You know, I, I, in all honesty, I've not ever said this to anybody, but people ask if I pray, and yeah, but it's different with me. I I feel like I have more of a conversation, and mm-hmm. I talk to him all the time. Level. Yeah, yeah. I, it's so it's a little different, and I so I understand where you're coming from, and and I think that's what we need to get across to people too. It's not about just going to church and going through the motion. It's about right. what, that's exactly right. What, what you feel in your heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen. Uh, is there anything that you would like? I mean, I got a couple of minutes left. Is there anything that you'd like to? Your own personal that you'd like to tell people. I mean, I usually try to give the last little bit. It's all you. No questions from me. Anything that you, any message you'd like to give or invitation, whatever. I, you know, um, it's, I don't. I, I don't know that I have any real specific invitation. I mean, like, like we've talked about, and I got to say, it's been a real honor to to be able to to visit with you and have this well, interview. Thank it's you. been. I appreciate I've, that. I've really, I know you've been a podcaster in the really, past too. Really enjoyed it. I have, and it, it's it's a lot of fun. I actually really miss it. Um, but if, if I guess if if for those that are listening, um, if they could take anything away from this, it's to try to figure out how do I develop that personal relationship and, and understanding who we are as children of God and that he absolutely loves us and understanding that he he gave his son for us so that we could live. And what and what that really means to think that. I've, I've sinned or I've done something so bad that he can't love me anymore or, or I can't come back or I, I can't change who I am. I think it's just, it's stinking thinking. To think that he gave, he gave his son for us, why on earth would he give up on us now? Like he, he's all in. He's already shown that he's all yeah. in. He's done everything for us. Um, and, and so if you are in, in that situation where you maybe feel a, a little too far gone or a little too lost, um, I can assure you that you're not, that there is no too far gone, um, that God's love is always, always there. And his hand is always outstretched to us. You know, I think if I could just real quickly, just want to share a story from the Bible that is one of my favorite. When we when we look at when the um, apostles, they were on the boat and they were rowing and the tempest is raging and everything was scary, right? And so if you read that, especially in the account of Mark, it's really cool because it says they were in the fourth watch. So if you know a little bit about the Jewish day, so the the day hours were based around the work day, right? So hour one was hour one in the morning, right? So from roughly six to seven o'clock, that was hour one. So when we hear people say, I'm in the 11th hour, well, that's really only about five o'clock in the afternoon. That's not too bad. 
So then in the evenings, they go to watches. So there's 12 hours, and then there's four watches. The first watch is when the guards were on from 6 to 9, and then from 9 to 12, from 12 to 3, 3 to 6. So the fourth watch, we know if they've been toiling on the sea, they've been working all night long. It's now somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. So they've been struggling a really, really long time. Okay, their trial has been difficult. Their trial has been hard. They feel like they're going to die. This is, this is a scary time. It, this is not good. Yeah. This is it. It's been a good run, boys. We ain't going to make it, right? They're yeah. scary. And then it says that they cried out to their Savior. They cried out, Jesus saved me, right? And so he was, if you can draw, just close your eyes and just think of a map for a second. There's a boat in the middle of this lake, and he's at the shore. If you go back to sophomore geography, uh, not geography, help me with my math. Um, what's the one with the lines? Sorry, I just... Geometry. Geometry, thank you. <laughs> geometry, i got a son in geometry right now. He's going to be so mad at me. If you go back to geometry, the shortest distance between two points is a... Straight it's line. a straight line, right? So... That's how he comes to us. It, yeah, it's cool that he walked on water, but when you think about it, he was just taking the straightest path to those in need. He could have gone around. He could have got on another boat. He could have done other things, but he didn't. When it's we not the call fact that he walked on water. It, that, like, that's cool. That's <laughs> anecdotal. That's a side note. But the important thing is that we recognize he took the shortest distance between two points, which is going straight. If that means walking on the water, that's what I'll do. So be it. That's fine. I will get I've to you. I've never looked at it that way. I will get to you. And I, I just I want people to understand and to recognize that, that even when it's scary, even when you feel lost, even when you are in your fourth watch, you've been trying for a really long time and you are worn out, call out to him. Call out. He will be there. And he, he is there always. And he will love you. Uh, I just, I love that story. I love... Um, just the direct route that he took there. And I think sometimes people lose that and, oh, and, and don't rec- they, they think the miracle is that he's standing on water, which is really cool. Like <laughs> I don't do that. Um, but I think the most important thing is that he takes the direct route to us. So I just wanted to share that. Um, that's, that's fantastic. Well, listen, uh, God bless you. Thank I, you. I appreciate it. You I, used well. to, I had a friend of mine that was, uh, wound up in the ministry, different Methodist ministry. Yeah, great. But I used to tell him, God bless, God bless you. And he would say to me, oh, he does. Every day. <laughs> every day. Yeah, every day. He absolutely so, does. Uh, but I appreciate you taking time. I, I know absolutely. you're a busy fellow. I am. Uh, and uh, I appreciate you taking time. Uh, this podcast is going to go in a series, just so that you're aware. Cool. Uh, and I'm going to talk to a couple other uh, ministries from around town. So Excellent. Uh, I just want to get there for you, just like this good, this is, this is, Good stuff. I mean, this is good, feel good. Good stuff. for the soul. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I, people I, need good news. After that, well, that's just it. If we turn open, turn on the news. I, I think we should turn it off and, <laughs> and, and listen to our ministers for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But okay, I, I appreciate it, and I, I guess I'll see you at work tomorrow. Yeah, you better be there, brother. <laughs> I will. Um, All right. Well, good to visit with you. I can find the stop button. That's it for now. I'm so glad we had this time together. Goodbye. Be watching the General's Wake Up Call Facebook page for upcoming events and podcasts. Want to be a guest or have questions? Drop David an email at thegeneralswakeupcall at gmail.com. I know he'd love to hear from you. I won't say goodbye. I'll just say until we meet again. Until next time.
May God be with you and yours. Always wear your clean underwear.